With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean, and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hi folks, I'll just take a wee minute out here to talk about NordVPN. Now, NordVPN are official club partner of Rangers, so you know that they're trustworthy. And trust is a big thing on the internet. I'm afraid that you can't trust people because there are lots of bad people out there who want to steal your data. And if you are using other Wi-Fi to your home network, if you are out and about and you use Wi-Fi or your 4G when you're outside 5G, whatever, then hackers are able to get to your information and it's such a pain if you've ever been hacked and you've had to change passwords or you've had to change bank cards, etc. It is so, so time consuming and you don't need to do it because all you need to do is sign up to NordVPN and know you're protected. And of course, if you're ever going on a short holiday then you know what I'm talking about. You know where you can go to get absolutely thousands of options of where your internet is. But security is the key thing, let's face it. And you can get 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand and use the code heart and hand. You will get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. So just go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand, use the code heart and hand and be protected. Get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. Christmas is coming. Good evening and welcome back to Heart and Hand Extra, your second free show of the week. I am your host, Adam Thornton, and on tonight's show we will discuss last night's outstanding 2-0 win against Sparta Prague, which sent Rangers through to the next round of the Europa League. We'll also look ahead to Sunday's league match against Livingston. Joining me for this one, we have Andy McGowan. Hello, folks. And we've got David Marshall. Evening all. So... Been a while since we've had both of you on. Obviously, we'll get to the games. Um, I just want to start with your thoughts on on the duo appointment, Andy. I'll come at you first of all. I thought that, given the circumstances, the context, I thought to get it done so quickly and with 
a young, hungry manager that's proved something but still has a lot to prove on paper. Is that not what we've always asked for? Um, so I think it's, uh, I don't want to say it's as good as we'll get, because that sounds negative. I think it's a great appointment. Um, and when you look about who else would you go for that would be a better appointment, there's, there's no many in our bracket that I would have preferred over Neil. That's my take. Yeah, Marshall, I think sometimes an appointment just fits and we can almost try and talk ourselves out of, mm. out of stuff. Um, I think I said on last week's flagship, getting the Rangers support to agree on something is very, very difficult anyway. But something, no, is, no. <laughs> something <laughs> as high profile as, as this, sometimes I think you just need to say, Aye, that seems like a sensible appointment. There's nothing hiding in the background. There's no skeletons in the, the closet, as far as we know, touch wood. Um, it, it's just a sound appointment. And on the face of it, well, it certainly is a bit, it's certainly a a bigger appointment than or a better appointment than Gerard was when he came in in terms of in terms of risk etc time we'll see whether it's an actual appointment that is is better long term yeah you know I agree with a lot of that um I'm in the you know same same train of thought as Andy I think it's a great appointment I think it's probably the best realistic option that we that we could have hoped for um obviously someone of of my generation you know who was a kid when Gio was, was first up by Brooks, he was, you know, one of the guys that you pretended to be in the garden, you know, so that's exciting for, for me. Um, I think as well, you talk about, in terms of comparing it to the Gerard appointment, I think if you were to go back to 2018, and if we were to off Gio the job, you'd go, oh, no chance, you're all right. That's, um, that's a disaster that, that I'm above um, at that point, I think, would have been the answer. We would have got something also a wee bit more diplomatic and political than that, but honestly, I, I don't think you know he'd have had these sights on something better. So it does, you know, for one, it shows the the progress the club's made and the success of the previous managerial team. But um, yeah, it's um, I think it's the one. As soon as um, you know, as soon as Gerard left, it was a name that came up straight away. It was the one perfect honest that, that I wanted. I'm really happy that it got over the line and he, he's here now and you know early signs are to believe that could be a good one. No, yeah, I totally agree. Um everything you said I think it's just one of those things that like we said it, it doesn't there, there doesn't need to be a, a scare or anything hiding. We'll see how things go. There are obviously some uh minor concerns with East European format Feyenoord and, and China, the move to China, how that went, etc. But Feyenoord was a while ago now uh, and we've seen last night that it certainly seems okay on, on the European scene as far as we can see so I think we'll see how things go with it but overall I think broadly I agree with both your points on it 100%. Okay let's move into the game then. Uh, Rangers lined up in uh, a 4-2-3-1 formation Bassey, Partner and Goldson at centre back due to Balligan's uh, injury. Kamara and Davis playing as a kind of midfield two a bit deeper than they would play uh, under Gerard, Ryan Kent wider on the left than he would play under Gerard, and Morelos probably further up than he would have played under Gerard, and certainly in the last 18 months or so as the number nine. Yanis Hadji started and played most of the game on the right, but did switch a little bit at times with Joe Arribo, who was playing as the number 10. Alan McGregor in goals, and we will 100% come back to him mm. later on. Andy, I think most people, certainly most people that I spoke to, were. A wee bit surprised at, at the lineup. Probably some felt he might have went with more changes given what happened at the weekend. I don't think that was ever really likely given the the size of the game, uh, etc. But what was what was your take on it when you seen the lineup? I didn't expect major changes because it's not realistic to to have wholesale changes after two or three days of training. And we can say many things about this team and this squad, but they are well well drilled. And they do know the roles within variations of that 4-3-3 formation. So, and given that we knew Joe preferred that, he spoke about it at his, his first press conference. He spoke about the 4-3-3 and variations all, but we knew it would be a million miles away. But I thought the tweaks were significant because, I mean, you spoke about Kent being a wee bit wider there. But I thought the biggest change was Hadji because, especially in the first 30 minutes, I thought we got a lot of joy out of him because we were using his guile. Because we all know he's getting APS, right? But we were using his guile and his, his intelligence in a wee bit of different fashion, I thought. And I thought the, the first goal came from the fact that he came from out to in, created space, you know. And uh, I just thought we got a wee bit more out of Hadji in the first half. He died away in the second half, which is a problem for him. But I thought we get more out of him in that formation than, than we normally do. There was no real need for him to go by people or play as a kind of 
cosy winger. I thought we got more open that way. And uh, obviously Morelos, we know that there's something, there's been something off, whatever it is, we can't really put our finger on it. But I don't think having him in the box, as Gio explained, or closer to the box, is going to do him any harm at all because that, that's what I, I mean. We've, we've given plaudits for changing his game up and being able to come deep, and, and it's been to the benefit of the team as a whole. But we've lost that bit of devilment, we've lost that reliance on him, if you like. And I want to see him rolling defenders, I want to see him terrorizing uh, defenders into the, into the corners the way he used to do when he first came. And we see we saw wee glimpses of that last night. I thought he tired as well, which is strange. But I was overall really, really heartened by um it was a different kind of press. We pressed last night, but it was a different kind of press. I thought we were more economical without the ball. I thought we looked as if we were uh preserving our our, our uh, energy more sensibly. I think with Gerard's team it, if we didn't have the, the fitness and energy to go with the press that was required, we sometimes fell a wee bit short. And I think that's been a lot of what's went wrong this season. Yeah, I think that picking and choosing when to press thing was was something that we did quite well under Gerard at points, but I don't think it was ever something that you could say was a consistent thing. Like you said, it, it dipped, and most of this season has been been fairly non-existent. Um, I do want to come back to Hadji and Morelos later on, but Marshall, just in terms of of your thoughts on on the lineup, um, I guess Balogun not being there was a bit of a worry. Obviously, Hellander missing as well, and Simpson not in the Europa League squad. Probably less of a worry, to be honest, given um, Simpson's performances. But Bassi in the last game against Sparta uh, wasn't wasn't great. I have to say, last night he was pretty faultless, faultless all night. I thought he looked really, really comfortable in there. He's aggressive and he's quick, which I really like in a centre half. In our league, that can be more than half the battle at times. But yeah. at this level, at this level, it does sometimes become a bit of an issue when he can get dragged out. Same as Balogun, to be honest, we've seen against Hibs getting dragged out of position and they, they do have the pace to make up for it, but sometimes they rely on that a little bit much. But I have to say, last night, I thought Bassi was outstanding for me. He was man of the match. No, I agree. I thought he was excellent last night. And, you know, as you say, um, his previous stints at centre-half, you know, it's you could I don't think you could really blame anyone for being a wee, a wee bit cautious about him being in there last night, but... He was excellent, never put a foot wrong, looked absolutely solid and beside a goal sin. I think we would forget at times with Bassey that, you know, um, he is only 21. He's still learning the game. I think there's a lot of raw talent in there. Um, I, I absolutely think there's there's a there's a player in Calvin Bassey. I think he's came on even so far this season, uh, leaps and bounds from, from last year. You know, as I said, I've got nothing but credit for for what for what he did last night. It became fairly obvious in the game that you know this wasn't something that we we had to to worry about. I would, to be fair, um, put that against. I don't think that Sparta Prague are a particularly good team at all. Um, it was one of my frustrations with the first game against them, um, the fact that we lost to a fairly mediocre team away from home. And we weren't great either, but we were still the better better team, and we ended up losing from from a set peach, which is you know always a frustration. But yeah, he was yeah I'd say he's, he was probably my pick for my match too. He was excellent for the, the entire ninety minutes. Andy, we we came out the traps flying, which again is is a rarity for us this season. We could have scored in the first what was it eleven or or twelve seconds, I think it was. Morelos, you mentioned that intensity of of his and kind of impact in the box, hearing away down the right, squared it. Um, I think the ball was off, but I also think Kent could probably made the run a little bit earlier just to get across across the defender, so it never really came to much. But right away, the intensity that that you mentioned was there so quickly, and as we said, it's just not been something that's that's been there this season at all. You could put it down to a new manager bounce, you could put it down to a big game, etc. But it's great to have it back. You put it down to focus as well, because you know there was a lot riding on last night after after Sunday, and uh, if if last night had went wrong, then you know there'd been a pretty profound impact on our season. So. I, I thought uh, there was key players. Like, I, I think for one to eleven, we were really, really good. Right? I thought everybody did their job, um, and I thought we controlled the game for the best part of seventy minutes. The last twenty minutes kind of went a wee bit astray, but um, I thought uh, focus was 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 there. We could see it. Davis 
steps up again. We've spoken about Bassey. I thought he was excellent, as you both say. Goldson was quietly, quietly brilliant. And I think a lot of what Bassey's taking plaudits for was because Goldson's beside him. I don't think it's any coincidence that players play well beside Goldson. And I don't think there's any coincidence that Bassey was playing next to Balogun in Prague. And uh, what I liked about the, the, the game was that we seemed to be knitted together. You know, the, the slight tweak in formation wasn't it, seismic. So you shouldn't be really expecting, you know, them not to know their roles and their positions. But um, it generally worked a treat and very, very rarely did Sparta get any joy. I think a couple of times they got a bit of space on the left-hand side and that was about it. But we, we, we handled things pretty well last 20 minutes apart. We just, we just got... Um, I don't know how to put it, but we just we seem to become a wee bit frayed in the last 20 minutes, and and it should have been far far more comfortable. But I was doing the chances we did they take. Yeah, I think that's just a a game state thing. You get to two 0 and you know that's you you going through, and you sometimes just almost accept your lot and say right, we're just going to have to see this out for for 10 minutes and mm-hmm. and get going. We've seen it. Back and to they the did go for it too because they had they to. They have to. You know. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, little tweaks was was something that I, I wanted to mention there, Marshall. There's been a lot of chat about how it was so different to Gerard and, and and it was fantastic to see what a change and blah, blah, blah. I actually thought this was quite similar to the Antwerp home game last season, the way that, the way that we played and the way that we attacked, certainly in the first um, the first 30 minutes of the first half and maybe, what, 20, 30 minutes of the second half. Intensity and pressing on the counter-attack um, was evident throughout most of the game and none more so than that first goal. Um, I didn't realise until I watched it back today. Um, it's a really clever through pass from Davenir, I think it is, for Hadji to run onto. He's not quick enough, Hadji, as you said, Andy, but he's not quick enough to get on it properly, Marshall, but he manages to get there, and I love the desire to slide in, flick it to Morelos. We speak about Morelos all the time. Marshall, a really instinctive finish. We know that's his best. Um, that's the way, when he's got so much time to think he's going to try and do something different and and fluff it essentially when he's doing goal but just that one touch instinctive finish 15 minutes in was just exactly what he needed and exactly what everybody needed yeah I thought this was um, a brilliant goal um, as you say the through ball I think it was from Tav is perfect Hadji's um, Hadji as Bob mentioned isn't the quickest um, but even so I thought I thought he did excellently he is not favourite to, to get that ball I, I don't think and he does the only thing really that um, he can do to create the chance for ourselves here to keep the attack going and and set Morelos up. I I honestly thought you know I was I was at that point where I was just about to tuck because I thought the chance was just away and he he done absolutely brilliantly. The finish from Alfie as well you can't take anything away from that. I think you know if that's if that's a couple of weeks ago he's he's missing that or hitting it right the keeper or smashing it smashing over the bar. It was a really really good finish um, and it was you know. It just highlighted how how we were playing up at this point. We started really well. We were on the front foot from the off. The the play was um, you know, so much quicker than what it's been for 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 a, well for for most of the season. Alfie, you know, somebody seemed to find where um the real Alfredo Manelis had, had been hiding um all this time and this uh, imposter that we've had for for large sections uh, seemed seemed to disappear. It was seemed to be the real Alfie was back, um, it was just a great goal and thoroughly deserved to be up at that point. Andy, like Marshall said, Sparta defensively weren't great at all. There was there was big gaps for us to cut through. Limit well, we've seen in that goal, we've seen in the, the, the chance earlier on and you've seen a couple of runs later, but there's fine if there's gaps, but you still need to cut through them. That's not something that we've really been, been able to do this season uh, consistently. You need to take your chances too, again, an issue. Um, pretty rough week for everybody, but a lot of criticism for Morelos. I think, looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. but if he was going to put in a show, and it was probably going to be in the face of that, that criticism. Uh, you touched on it earlier on, though, Andy. The previous management team were, were at pains to say he hadn't been asked to play differently over the last 18 months. Then that kind of begs the question now, if he hadn't been asked to do it, then why was he doing it differently? Because he definitely, definitely was. Um, and if they had, if he'd started playing that way and they didn't like it, then is it not up to them to kind of change it back? Um, I've always been consistent in my opinion that, like you said, this Morelos is the best version of Morelos. He's a number nine, kind of Luis Suarez, battering ram. Needs to do that more often, needs to get in between the posts, as Van Bronckhorst said, um, was it post-match or, or the presser today? I'm not sure. 
if he can link up at times, then great. But to me, this is him. Why would you want to take this away from him? Like he's called the Buffalo. He's a battering ram. That's that's the whole point of him. I don't understand why he would want to become this false nine or why the coaching staff would have made him do that. Um, and it sounds like Van Bronckhorst kind of agrees with that. So, so that, uh, there was a marked difference in the way he played from day one last season when we went up to Pataudry and the goal that we, go, we scored for Kent, if you recall, when he kind of streaked through yep. um, one-on-one in goalie. It was caused by Marielis' movement deep and, and that was a feature of our play for the first half of last season really quite starkly. What was happening at that point, what Adam, is the rest of the front four, whoever they were, whatever mixture was picked, they were all contributing goals as well. We were getting goals for all around the team. And what's not happened this year is that Morelis has kind of neutered himself to a degree, but also the front four haven't really been firing. And therefore, with nobody. Whereas, if you jump back to the seasons previous to last season, Morelis carried us for a long time in terms of goal scoring. And in fact, when you jump back to that would be 1920, the 2019-20, when the, the lockdown season, we died a death after the, the break, and it was largely due to the fact that Morelis' form dipped because he wasn't getting the goals. So I, I, I just feel that if you're wanting to get the best out of him, as you say, and you, you, you do that Suarez comparison, I wish it was Luis Suarez, but that's where we want him. We want him. No, no snarling, but we want him on the shoulder of the centre-halves because he's physically got the, got the attributes to cause problems for any centre-half. And if he can bring in the likes of Hadji, Aribo and Kent and he play further up the park, then you might start getting... Well, we, we should have had goals off both of them last night. Look at the chances uh, Aribo missed and Kent missed. So um, I, I still think, despite all the criticism that's been flying about for, for a good few months now, I've been pretty steadfast that he is our best striker by some distance. And when we take him out of the team, we are we are less potent. And uh, that might be because Itton's no there. It might be because Sakala's not quite ready. But I do think that the team play better with him. And he's a talisman when he's on it. And uh, I, I want to continue this. I hope it's a start of some form. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody everybody agrees with that, definitely. Um, we will come on to chatting about the defence um, in a little bit, but Marshall, just on, on the last day of attacking then, um, Joe Rebo missed two chances, mm. probably, if we're, being, if we're being kind, two chances that he probably should have put away. The, the first one early on kind of hit the bar, but it was a difficult chance. Um, but then, for me, he misses a bit of a sitter. Um, again, after some great play down on right, that Tavernier and Hadji combo ball over the top and Hadji kind of lobs a wee cross into the box. It yeah. does bounce a wee bit awkwardly. I think he probably needs to head it, but I'm not sure that's his style. He tries to flick out a, a leg at it and sends it over the bar. He did have another one in the second half where he breaks free and just tries to flick it at goal rather than smash it home. It's going to be interesting to see how I think the manager works with Aribo and Hadji. If he is intent on a 4-2-3-1 with one number 10, um, whether he does what he does last night and has Hadji out wide, maybe switching with Aribo, uh, I'm not sure whether we see one or the other playing as a as a number 10. They're both very, very different, but they both do play better as that number 10, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does with it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to come down, I think, to um, who has the better end product. And, you know, at this point, I think that's Hadji. Um, to be honest, I think Hadji's the one. If he's getting in, if he's got those chances, he scores more often than not. Um, I know you're similar to, to me, Adam. I think Aribo can be quite a a frustrating player to, to watch at times. I mean, he's undoubtedly a technically brilliant player, but there is times where you know, like, why do you know why do why do anything that can be done with one touch when you can take ten? Um, and that, that 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 does frustrate me. Like I think that that third chance that he got um, in the game, I think that that sums him up. You know, as you say, he's played through and goal. Just just hit a normal shot. I mean, you actually you actually watch it back and you can see it from the angle behind him. It's he's it's like he's went to chip it over the, over the keeper. It's like you don't you've overcomplicated that. You just know, smash that was, it. Just smash yeah, it. Just, yeah, just just smash it. That's that's where he gets me. Like the second one, you know, I said he should be. He heads it in. It, it's taking it's taking an awkward bounce, but it's taking a great bounce for you to put a header in, you know. Yep. So just he just he just needs to keep it simple. Sometimes he's just undoubtedly a great player, but 
just do the simple stuff. And I think that's where Hadji does, you know, where for some people he does get the nod because he, he does just he does just keep it keep it simple. And I think he has got that bit better end product than Ebo at this point. Um I think within the the previous regime, as it were, I think Aribo was favoured. Um he was one of one of Gerard's boys, but you know, new manager coming in here has got no attachment to either of them. It'll be interesting in the, the weeks to come who who does get that nod. I think see, if, see on that, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt, Adam, but see, so I slightly, don't, well, I don't slightly, I disagree with you because, first of all, if Aribo's no your best player so far this season, who is it? And for me, for comparing to Hadji, Hadji's got a lot to prove for me, a lot to yeah. prove because he, sh- he shows things in flashes. Um, he's undoubtedly an asset to us. But last night was a kind of epitome of his kind of game. He had, a, he had a good contribution, an excellent contribution, I've got to say, in the first half. And he was doing things and he was being a problem to Sparta. And then he was totally anonymous in the second half. And what I'd liked about Aribo last season, and, and this season, I think, is that he's become a senior player that we can count on. And you look at games where we've been fairly struggling and he's been the guy that's been taking on the mantle and trying to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Now, he doesn't always do that, and I do agree with you, David, that um, he can sometimes be too elaborate, and if he had a right foot, he wouldn't be playing with us, he'd be playing with sure. Real Madrid or something. But uh, I, I think Aribo, uh, I thought it was interesting that he was the number 10 last night, because yeah. he's no, he was never really afforded that under Gerard, who, as you quite rightly say, David, was he loved him, he absolutely loved yeah. Aribo. So I thought that was interesting that Gio Van Bronckhorst just came in and he said, right, well, actually, you're going to play behind the striker. And when we didn't have the ball, when we were kind of, kind of settling back into the four bank, two banks of four and then Morelis and somebody behind him, it was generally Aribo was almost a second striker. And I thought that was a total uh, departure for what we used to because, you know, Gerard liked him as a, midf- a, deep, a deeper midfielder. No, I completely agree, yeah. I completely agree. I think it's... <laughs> It's a conundrum, was what I was going to come in and say, because they are polar opposites. In the sense, you've got Aribo, who's fantastic, build and play, linking up, does everything that he needs to do. You've got Hadji, who has a lot to do in that, can drift out of games for 85 minutes, but he'll get you something. I think Aribo's just as guilty as that as well, though, to be honest, as well. You know, if you're wanting to say about Hadji, Flash, um, sorry, doesn't flashes, I'd, I'd label the same criticism at Aribo. I think the, the issue, I don't know what it is, is because he always looks for the ball. He always wants to get the ball in, make something happen. I think people like that. And I've said this before. You kind of put somebody in a box and say, you're the creative player. You do this, you do that. I don't see nearly enough of an output from Aribo. And I know it's not all about goals and assists, far from it. But chances come up in, in big games. If he's playing that role, it has to be, though. Yeah, it does need to be. And I think that's where it's the polar opposite of Hadji. I think... I think it's going to be one or the other, and it's going to be such a conundrum, like I said, because for me, Hadji scores two of those goals last night. Yeah, um, two and three, he, he scores those. Whether he can get himself into the position for the third one and, and run towards the goal is, is a challenge, as Andy said, because he, he drifts out of the games, but he certainly scores the second one for me um, because he's a good finisher. Um, he wouldn't m- maybe take it with his head, I don't know, but this is where the conundrum comes in, I think, Andy, because if he wants to play a 4-2-3-1, to me, Hadji is a classic European-style number 10 I was amazed he played Van Bonkers played him wide last night. I thought it would have been Sakala or Aribo um, there. I can't see a scenario where he does that more often. So I think I would, if I was choosing between Hadji and Aribo as someone that Van Bronckhorst is going to play as the number 10, I think it might more often than not be Hadji. Maybe it'll be a rotation thing, I'm not sure. But just given how flexible Aribo is, I, I think he might get drifted wide a little bit more uh, in these circumstances. So that's, that's one to keep an eye on for me. Uh, number 10 position at Rangers is you need, you need to be good. You know, you, there's a lot of responsibility, and we've seen for the board to both befell, you know, it's a, res- a massive responsibility because you're basically building your attacking team around that number 10. And and I liked that. I mean, Hadji came on at Brownby the second half in that position and changed yeah. the game for us. So I'm no blind to what he can do because he, he can then operate in between the lines and he's intelligent enough to do that. As a young player, he's got super intelligence in terms of creating space for himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're comparing him as if we should be comparing him. Aribo could be a winger. He could play that position he played last night, which was left you know, back. second striker. Right. Left back. He can play centre or wide midfield. He's, I've, I've said he can do anything that he wants in the game if he just gets that bit of mental steel. Hadji, 
as again a young player, that's just, it's maybe just me, right? I, there is something that I, I watch him in some weeks. I'm like, he's brilliant, and there's some weeks I'm like, he's not going to make it. That's yeah. that's the the wild parameters that I see behind you. Um, there's just something there that I think is going to stop him taking his career to where it we might hope it should be. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how things settle down. I guess over it was a pretty busy six weeks or so. We've got ten or eleven games. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, finishing off talking about about the game, then we should probably mention some of the chances we gave up. Um, Marshall, we had issues on the left, mostly in the first half with Hanko overloading due to Hadji's lack of pace and two versus one. Um, manager mentioned in his press conference that he specifically brought Patterson on to the right to help with this in the second half. It did feel like they always had an extra man over there as the first half was coming to an end. That was quite interesting. I know there's a huge clamour for either Patterson to have in the same team or for Patterson to, to play right back, which is understandable given how um how he's how good he's been or, or how positive he's he's been certainly when he's come on and, and obviously Scotland appearances. So I get that. But that was interesting. I thought bringing him on to a position that was maybe a wee bit more attacking than we'd thought, but as a kind of pragmatic change to, to solve a, a uh, an issue in game. Yeah, you know that's. Um, I mean, it is. It was a, a criticism sent to Gerard often during his tenure here about how he would be too cautious and you know waited too long to to, to make substitutes. I think that's something you want to see from your manager that ability to read the game and be pragmatic and make the subs. Uh, you know, you either can change it or solidify things things up for you. The Patterson um, noise isn't going to go away, Adam. It's just going to keep keep intensifying, particularly um, the more he impresses when he comes on and play, gets time for us and the more he plays for Scotland because I think he's just about now got that that right back um, that right back shirt as his own within the, Scot- the Scotland setup. So he's going to going to keep playing, going to keep keep impressing. Uh, it's, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad it's not a decision. Any make, I still think at this point, James Tavernier is our number one right back. I still think his um, production uh, is far too important to our team to take out. Um, and I know I'm going to have some people screaming at me right now, saying, "No, you need to play, you need to play Patterson." But for me, it's um, he's Tav's just still still too important. I, I, you know, I by his own standards, I don't think he's the a great season by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I thought he was probably one of our... I don't want to say poorer performance, because nobody had a poorer game last night, but if you're going to rank everyone, somebody needs to finish bottom, and I think Tav was maybe the one that maybe... Yeah, not far just off flo- it, yeah. floated under the, the radar, even though we were talking about his role in that first goal. So that shows you, even when he's not having a great game, he's still he's still contributing, but um, so he still gets a nod for me, but... I we'll see how that goes. I, I, I totally I totally agree with you, Davy, about Tavenier being undisputable right back. I think it's it's a nonsense to to say that Parson should be displacing him. No there you go. Andy, Andy says your opinions are nonsense. I never went that <laughs> far, you know. <laughs> Get me on Twitter, guys. But um, <laughs> I I don't think and the reason I'm comfortable with it is uh, last night was a glimpse in, into I know I know he brought Parson on to kind of solidify that side of the part right but but a Parson is so good going forward that I don't think there's any reason why we kind of look at that as an option to start games uh, more often if you're playing that four-two-three-one with the three or the or just that wee bit further back than they probably were under Gerrard then because uh, they're not a forward line as such. I think you can play Parson there and you get the best of both worlds. You get an, an added defensive layer in front of Tav, but you also get everything that's great about Parson, the enthusiasm, the burst, the attack and play into the box. I, th- I think it, it could be something we should be looking at and I'm, I'll be interested to see how Van Bronckhorst takes that. Yeah, I think you could say he played there for bits of the game yesterday. Um, I think mm-hmm. at points we did move to a wee bit of a, a three at the back, maybe later in the second half. Yeah. It's hard to say whether that it it changed quite a bit. Obviously, watching watching the game um, there, three sometimes, uh, and then Patterson would move up and Tavernier would come over, which is good. It was kind of quite flexible. And you think, right, if we're defending, it kind of drops into a three, but if we're attacking, it goes to to more of a four. That 
that seems like quite a logical thing for me. Um, last night, I'm not going to proclaim anything um, because it's hard to to say whether it was one of those ones where we're seeing a game out um, as a kind of, not siege defending, but just trying to get something done and whether we'll yeah. see it more often. have to say, Marshall, I, I don't know if it worked really well. Um, Sparta were pushing to get a goal regardless of what formation we were playing. We would have been expected to defend, but... Defensively, a few regular issues were still there. Crosses from either side not being stopped at source, both on the left and the right, and then the kind of player ghosting in at the far post to get chances. One in particular in the second half, Barisic doesn't quite manage the block on the left-hand side, and the Sparta player sneaks in behind Tavernier, and it's a bit of a sell, to be honest. He heads it, it just wide. So regardless of the formation, um, and regardless of um, the kind of setup that we've had, those little issues were, were still there for me. So if that's something that I, I treat the back, helps to solve in certain situations. I don't think we should be playing three at the back at home at Dundee, for example, but in certain yeah. games, in certain situations, I'm all for it. And if it's got the added bonus of getting both of them on the park as well, then happy days. Yeah, I mean, the the issues were still there last night, I think, in terms of Barisic, you know, that's just, that is a glaring weakness in his game. He doesn't stop crosses. And it's been to our detriment at points this season, particularly, um, you know, not everything was going to be solved last night. You know, not everything was going to... It would be impossible for uh, the manager to come in, wave a magic wand, and then everything's just solved straight straight away. What is encouraging, though, Adam, I think, is the fact that we do have these different um, tactical and um, for players' positional options that we could look to now. You know, is it the one system that we know that we're going to stick to rigorously and it's very, very, very unlikely going going to change change for that. I'll be interested to see now when we do get into the games, because I, th- I think Sunday, and I know we're going to touch it, is a, a great game to have because it's a good acid test of where this team is right now um, and how we're, how we're going to, going to approach that and how the manager tactically is going to approach it and if need be, how can he how can he change it um, if things are not going our way. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. We'll, we'll come on to the preview in a wee second, but I think it is, it is quite interesting for, for the reasons that you mentioned. And the one man who doesn't really need anything tactically related is, is Alan McGregor. Um, I said on the flagship, he's barely made a big save this season and we were probably more reliant on it last season than, than we realised and probably than we would have wanted to. Um, delighted for him to prove me wrong by making... Uh, two huge saves but also kind of proved me right as well because we kind of were reliant on that last night as much as we were dominant it got to the 87th minute and he made that ridiculous double save um so late in the game we can't underestimate the save itself but what it gave us i guess at that point in the game with just three or four minutes to go uh, so mcgregor's suffering from something the whole team's suffering from which is the, the comparison to last year last year was off the scale on every measure and uh I mean, McGregor, that was his greatest ever season. There were so many, you know, season-defining moments when you look at the Celtic game and, uh, you know, even the save across in Prague, stuff like that. It's stuff that you'll remember for years and years and years. And, and he hasn't had a top season this year. I don't think he's not really had any major clangers. Well, is there? There was one, wasn't there? But his, um, his standards haven't been quite as, as high, but that's the same for the whole team. But that, that double save last night, I mean, I don't know where you were in the stadium, boys, but I was in the govern and, and that second movement, I mean, that was in it. I was just waiting for it to hit the back of the net. And, and for him to get up and get that, that toe to it and get it away for the, the six-year box was, was astounding. It was a miracle save. Um, and that's what he's all about. I mean, there is an argument he, could have, he should have been coming for it. For it. <laughs> He's, no, he's never really came for it in his life, so it's like t- telling a 90-year-old, you know, you need to go learn the piano now. It's not really going to happen at this stage of his career. That's just the way his game is, and that's why we're saying centre-halves have always been, you know, addressed that part of our, our defensive situations. Right, yeah. Brilliant. It was un- it was unreal. I-, I do have a bit of a problem. I say this quite a lot about uh, uh, he's not going to come for the ball because he never comes for the ball, and it's like, well, okay. Tavernier can't defend the back post. Do we just accept that they can't defend the back post? No, we we kind of we kind of criticise it time and time again. So I, I do understand it. And when McGregor does what he did yesterday, I was in the main stand, and perfect view of him kicking, putting his foot out to kick that ball. It was incredible. Um, David, nobody in the right mind would say we didn't deserve to win that game by at least two goals, maybe three, to be honest. But sometimes 
it is fine margins, and sometimes a bit of luck doesn't mm-hmm. go your way. McGregor conceding a goal with basically every shot and target for the last month was yeah. crazy and totally unprecedented. It's also unrealistic, as Andy said, to expect him to make as many huge saves as he did last season, but he came up trumps again last night, so fair play. Yeah, I don't know, because you and I have had this debate quite regularly recently about McGregor, and I have made that argument about, well, he's never came for crosses. And it, like, as you rightly say, you know, oh, so that makes it okay then, if yeah. a, ball, a ball's played into three yards out and he just stands there. And, you know, no, it's no, but what he's always done throughout his career, you know, more often than not, is make the save at, yeah. at that point. Um, But if it, this season, he hasn't, so... It's been highlighted more. Um, if he makes a save, then it's then it's not it's not an issue. Um, people saying last night, I he never came for that ball again, and that's when you can say, well, he's never he's never came for the balls, and he's always made these saves. That's where you can make that argument. You can't if he's actually letting the goals in because it is a detriment to the team. Um, we needed it last night. Yeah, that'd have been such a such a kick in the balls. Um, if we lost that goal late on after dominating. For yeah, as Andy says, for for seventy minutes and thereafter we did let them into it a wee bit, but even so they didn't create much. It was two chances within that twenty minutes where they 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 went they went for it. If they scored there, you know, it's I'd put such a downer in things, you know, two one, and then we know we probably need, need to go to Leon and and get something in in the last game. It's just it put a, a dampener on things, but it's a great save, uh, two great saves. I was. You know, I convinced that that second header what was going in. That is just incredible goalkeeping reactions and that shot stopping ability that he's got that no many, no many goalkeepers uh, can beat him at. It was just incredible, and I was delighted for him because obviously somebody that I rate very highly, somebody who's a favourite of mine. And yeah, I've been getting worried this season because I think that that element of him has. Been been lacking a wee, but I think his goal scope, his uh, his uh, goal stopping skills have have certainly decreased from the evidence. But I said, if we get that Sam McGregor from now the end of the season, then there'll be no arguments about he's no come for crosses if he's pulling off these saves. But at the same time, we shouldn't always have to rely on that. We need to get what's in front of them defensively sorted. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andy, last Sunday's shocker aside, lots to be positive about this week with the new management team coming in and, and the victory last night. Um, I hate the tough place to go cliche, but it, it kind of is. Um, but despite that, Rangers have won, I think it's 11 in the last 12 games against Livy and we, we drew the other one, which basically goes right back to the start of, or sorry, the middle of the first season under under Gerrard. Um, so we we do do okay with them despite the the kind of fear factor I guess if you want to call it that or the nerviness. Um, Livy are in decent form. They're unbeaten in five, but they've drawn the last three. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on, it's an interesting challenge for Van Bronckhorst. Plastic pitch uh, and all that jazz. Davy Martindale can set out a team to to defend and they can be dangerous on the break. What are your expectations of of the game on Sunday? I'm worried about the conditions. I'm sitting in the house just now, and the wind's blowing a, a hooli. Um, as Livingston in the east, it's it's more east than, than west, that's for sure. Yep. So the conditions are going to play a part, and it's going to make what would already be a, a horrible game because they're just to be Livingston set up, and we know all about how they're, you know, they, they play to their strengths. Uh, it's going to that's going to be in their favour because it's going to be harder to play the kind of football that we would normally break a team like I do with. So so that's a wild card. That is a, a total wild card that could um, could see things happen that don't go to plan. So but I, I'm hoping the wind dies down and, the, and the, the, it's just the, the coldness on Sunday and then we've not got the, the wild kind of weather. But apart from that, you know, all things being equal, we've got to be going there and, and laying down a marker early on the Sunday. Got for, we've got to remember we're off a big game on a Thursday. I think we often forget that, you know, it's a tough thing to go away Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And um, I think I think it was a, a, after a midweek game, Celtic came a cropper through there, wasn't it? I might be wrong. Yeah, I think so, but, yeah. Uh, aye. So, so, so there's these variables in the mix, but we've, we've got to be winning these games. If you're, if you're serious about winning the title again, then, you know, we've got to go there and win. Um, and, and that's what I'll be expecting. Andy, I think, Marshall, I think Andy's spot on. If we want to win these games, we've got a 
ridiculous run of away games coming up. I think in the next mm-hmm. five weeks, Livingston away, Aberdeen, Livingston away, Hibs away, Hearts away, Aberdeen away, and, and Celtic away. Um, five wins out of those. Obviously, the other home games as well will be absolutely motoring ahead of the winter break. Um, it would be a ridiculous start for Van Bronckhorst if he gets if he gets through uh, all of those undefeated or winning them all, I should say. Um, we got an idea of of his style last night. Just a brief idea of the, t- the tweaks that he would make. We know from the press conference today that, that Leon Balogun and Kamar Roof are, are still out. Everybody's going to be high on, on the big result last night. Are you expecting many changes to the team? I don't know how much he's going to have had time to scout Livingston, get up to speed on the nuances of them, etc. Um, given he's only just in the door um, six days by the by the time the, the game kicks off. What are you expecting from the team? Yeah, I don't expect major changes from uh, Thursday night, uh, to be honest, pretty much because you said there with the uh, injuries that we, we do have and because the, the lack of time he's had to, to work with the squad and scout the, the, the opposition. I think this is just about as perfect a fixture as we could ask for because I think we will learn a lot about where the team is at this point going into this really difficult stage that we're going to have in December going into the, the new year and the, the Celtic game. I, you know, there's a turn of optimism in me. It says, I think we will be, will be all right. It isn't a game that we can afford to, to drop points and I don't think we will. I expect it though to be stuffy and all the cliches that you throw out when you, when you, when you play Livingston. I think I'm, I'm just looking to see if it's going to be how the manager reacts, you know, if things are if we get a 45 minutes and half time and it's still it's still nothing each, if we get a 60 minutes and it's still the same, how does what does he do from there? Hopefully it doesn't come to that, we're free and up at half time. But um, I think this is a great test for everyone in that team on Sunday. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, we've got Leon in a couple of weeks on a Thursday, but we're now into a kind of Saturday-Wednesday cycle for most of December with league fixtures. So again, we need to manage that. Um uh, in an effective way and like I said it is a, it is a huge start um, if you want to hear more uh, about the preview we have a preview of Livingston out on, on the Patreon site uh, tomorrow Saturday lunchtime you can uh, join us there at patreon.com forward slash heart and hand if you would like there's a women's show which dropped earlier on tonight which which David Marshall hosts recapping all the, the action from the women's show so come along if you aren't a subscriber come and join and you can hear hear all of that um, we're going to finish off with uh, just a little bit of news. The coaching staff has been completed now, or we think it's been completed anyway, with um, the appointment of Dave Voss. I'm probably saying that wrong. I would imagine it's Bosch um, as assistant manager today. Uh, quite an interesting appointment. Uh, Dave Voss is, is pretty young. He's only 36, but he's been a coach for well over 10 years at AZ and, and Ajax in Holland. He, he has the UEFA Pro licence and he's been at the Cruyff Institute as well, so he's he's very qualified and he comes with a pedigree. I think it can be easy to say you coach at Ajax, you must be great, but he certainly does seem to come mm. with a pedigree. Um, he was Ajax B or young Ajax assistant manager last year to Mitchell van der Gag. Yes, that's him. Um, and he took over the under 18 manager's job this summer. Van der Gag is actually um. Now the Ajax assistant manager, the first team, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. Uh, I think they tend to rotate their coaches around the squads each year. Johnny Heitinger has taken his place as the Ajax B manager, for example, probably just to keep things fresh and give the coaches the experience that they that they need. Um, Andy, we don't know much about Voss at all, but it sounds like from the press conference today that Van Bronckhorst has been tracking him for a while and has had discussions with him, kind of predating his uh, managerial uh, appointment at Rangers. We know Ross Wilson is on good terms with Ronald Koeman and he knows the Dutch, Belgian, French markets pretty well too. Uh, on the face of it, without knowing huge amounts of, of background or information, um, it all sounds pretty promising, doesn't it? Well, you're right in that the Ajax youth system has a mystique about it, and, and rightly so. You know, it's, it's, it's spoken in those terms for a reason. And Van Bronckhurst, I mean, he's been in China. He's had a wee bit of time out of the game as well since he came back. And you've got to think that a guy like Van Bronckhurst was looking for his next opportunity. For all we know, he might have been thinking about Rangers and, you know, Ross Wilson's influence in terms of having a, a, a live list of who he wants. Who knows if, if Van Bronckhurst even knew that that, that was uh, in existence. You've got to think that a forward-thinking coach like that is 
got his eye on, right, who's my team going to be at any given time? And I don't think this will be... Uh, uh, it's not been done by accident. I think he'll know exactly what he's getting for this guy. And uh, I like the idea of young, fresh, hungry coaches. I spoke about Van Bronckhorst being relatively young and hungry and still got stuff to prove. Well, one opportunity for this guy to come over for the IXB team to become the assistant manager of Rangers, just that they kind of do a new era. So, interesting. Shades of Beal, you know, I think we always we always hark on about Michael Beal because we knew the influence he had on Gerrard's team. Probably more influence than we'll ever probably know. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Voss or Vosh, as you say, Adam, because you're a Dutch expert, <laughs> how he he fits into the the influence, how strong his influence is um, on the on the on the training ground, and because I noticed last night that Mackay was pretty, you know, he was pretty active. He was up and down and up at the touchline a good few times, and um, the other guy whose name escapes me, is it Arno? He was he was up and down as well. So I've been interested to see how this boy fits in, but I it's it's you know, I mentioned in the group chat earlier that if you jump back 30 years and we were lamenting, you two might be too young for this, we used to lament Walter Smith and the training standards and, and you know, how far we'd fail behind the European counterparts. And we even get excited about Tommy Muller-Nielsen coming over as a kind of assistant. That was a, that was part of the thinking there to get more continental thinking. If you told us back then we we're going to be taking the Ajax youth system's top boy, then, you know, we'd have been rapturous. Marshall, um, at the very least, being able to sell Rangers as a project worth joining to what seems to be a well-thought-of Ajax coach with a decent pedigree, and he's got a huge focus on youth coaching. To be able to sell that to to him has to be a positive sign for the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, as soon as you hear the words Ajax youth coach, and you know, you, the inner football hipster in you sits up and goes, oh, well, he he must be good. That's, um, that's uh, I've, I've, you know, if you've been online um, as a Rangers supporter, I've been hearing the words since I, I can remember, to, to be quite honest. Um, you know, looking at the guy's CV, look, he's done past, I can't say I know an awful lot about, about him, apart from the small bit of research I've done since seeing his name come up uh, today. You know, it looks, you know, a guy with got a good pedigree, obviously, if Gio's wanting him to come in there, take that job, it's, he must he must think a lot about him as well. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good appointment, and his name's Dave, so he can't be an arsehole anyway. Uh, you would think so. You would think so. But we'll see. We'll see. And yet here we are. Yeah. Okay, that will do us for tonight. Uh, Andy, thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Adam, as always. Thank you. And Marshall, thank you. Oh, cheers, guys. That was good. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.